I'm Steve Pruitt, one of the gospel community leaders here, and it's my privilege this morning to be able to share God's word with you. Uh, Before I do, I I got just a couple things. One that came to my mind is I just really appreciate Sarah and the joy that she brings to announcements. (laughs) Isn't that something? I just think that she's so gifted in that, and it just really sets the mood so well, and I appreciate her so much. Hey, there are some things that you can do that will help you to follow along this morning a little bit better. One, there are notes at the communion tables, and in the back there, if you didn't bring some in, that might help you with uh, tracking a bit. Also, there are Bibles in the racks in the seats in front of you, and if you forgot your Bible, you may borrow one, and uh, if you don't have one, you can just take one. It's uh, the gift from the church to you. It might be good for you to be in your Bibles to uh, be able to track, because we're not projecting all of the verses this morning, and it may be good for you to uh, reference that in Acts 13 as we go along. Also, there is the YouVersion app. It may just say Bible in your device, but you can click on that and then click on More and then Events, and then your GPS should bring up Element Christian Church, and uh, you'll be able to follow along there as well. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? This is actually in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19. Starting in verse 18, Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for giving us your word written in our own language so we can understand it. And we also thank you for the freedom we still enjoy to study it together in a public setting. As we open this book of Acts again this morning, Lord, we ask that you fill our hearts and our minds with the things you want to teach us today and that you'll motivate us to walk in the light of what we learn. Amen. You can be seated. The passage that we just read is part of the mission statement that Jesus gave his disciples to pass on to us. It had to do with two tasks, making and maturing disciples of all nations. Jesus said, go and make disciples, that is, share the message with them so that they become disciples. And then he said, teach them to do whatever I've told you to do. Very simple in concept, not so simple to carry out, especially in our own brokenness and fallenness, our own human power in a dark and fallen world. It's an incredibly difficult task to do. And of course, Jesus knew that. So right there in that statement that I read, at the end, he says, and behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. Later then, after his resurrection and just before he ascended to heaven, he laid out the mission again for this brand new group of believers. He said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That was the plan and we call it the Great Commission or the Grand Commission. Jesus had already said in Matthew chapter 16 that he was going to build his church and the gates of hell were not going to be able to block it. It was going to happen. And he said that his disciples were going to be given the keys to the kingdom and the ability and the right to open the doors to the kingdom to anybody that they wanted to go reach. All of the nations, whoever you go to, the door opens for them as well. And as I said, that is a humanly impossible task, and Jesus knew it. And so in Acts chapter 8, even when he's repeating the command, he makes that promise that the Holy Spirit would come, not just to bless them and comfort them, yeah, that, but to empower them to do the mission and reach the world, starting in Jerusalem where they were and then spreading the gospel out to Judea and Samaria and even the farthest reaches of the globe. And then again, there's that promise to be with them until the task is completed. So when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost to empower them, the mission and the message started spreading in Jerusalem. In fact, that very first day, 3,000 Jews believed. And a church was planted there in Jerusalem on that day. But that church didn't seem to be in a real big hurry to get out of Jerusalem and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And getting people to leave their familiar culture and safe spaces and try to go out and reach the unclean Gentiles, that was not an easy sell. And so for many years, their contacts with Gentiles almost seemed to be by accident. In Acts chapter 8, the Lord led Philip down a road and he came upon an Ethiopian guy in a chariot and the guy's got a scroll open and he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And the Lord tells Philip, go up to that chariot. Go talk to this guy. And Philip says, a real good opener, what are you reading? <laughs> you know, and do you, know what you're, do you know what you're reading? And the guy said, well, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? Opening, and Philip explains the gospel to him that Jesus is the fulfillment of that scripture. He becomes a believer, and the gospel ends up probably going to Ethiopia through that one guy. And then in chapter 10, it still seems to be a hard sell. Peter had to be convinced through a vision, like three times a vision of unclean animals coming down in a thing. And the Lord saying, rise up and kill and eat those animals. And Peter goes, no way, I never touched anything unclean. 
And what God was trying to do is point out to Peter that he was to go to the unclean Gentiles and that they were to be accepted. God says, what God has accepted, don't you dare call unclean. And so that, again, was like that. And then in chapter 11, even the missionaries sent from Jerusalem to Antioch didn't go starting with the Gentiles. They didn't go necessarily with the intention of reaching the Gentiles, as we'll see. So as you read through the first parts of the book of Acts, you don't pick up a focused effort to get the gospel out to the world as Jesus had commissioned them to do. But Jesus was still going to build his church and the gates of hell were going to try to stop it at every step. So it wasn't very long before Satan tried to block the message by inciting the rulers in the area to persecute and even kill the Christians, they were being incarcerated, all kinds of things. And many of the Jerusalem believers' lives were in danger. So they had to move out of Judea or die. That was the, the gates of hell trying to block the message. But God turned Satan's efforts on their head as he finally does, as he often does, and he used that persecution to disperse his people out into the Gentile world where they would continue with the mission. They would be able to share that message with people who hadn't heard yet. And so today, as we look at Acts chapter 13, where we pick it up in this second part of the series, we see one of the first churches to actually pick up the mission to reach the greater world, and that is the church at Antioch. This church was really the the first real beachhead for the gospel into the pagan world. It got its start during that awful persecution that we just talked about, and some of the Greek-speaking Jews ended up down in Greek-speaking Antioch. That was a place where they could go and actually communicate with people. They started, while they were there, spreading the gospel to anybody who would listen, and it wasn't very long before there were lots of believers in Antioch. Then Barnabas and Saul, who's also known as Paul the Apostle, went to Antioch to help that church grow under their leadership. It wasn't long then before people outside the church started taking notice. And they came up actually with a new name for the believers who before this time were probably just called disciples. They came up with a new name for the believers at Antioch. They called them Christians. That's the first time that name seems to be used. And that means like Christ follower, Christ people, kind of like mini-Jesus, like mini-me kind of thing, like a person who kind of reminds you of Jesus, but just not quite as cool. So anyway, um, this name that they were given is probably because the Antioch church was a group who knew how to show Christ-like love in some very tangible ways, like sending this very generous love offering back to Jerusalem when they started undergoing a severe famine. They were very generous to send an offering up there. There are all kinds of good things going on in Antioch. And as we drop in on them in 
Acts chapter 13, they are just about to send out their first missionaries who will take the gospel into the pagan world. It's kind of the maybe the first organized effort to do that. There are all kinds of good things happening. We're going to call this passage the marks of a church on mission. And by the marks, I mean the the characteristics, the defining traits that identify something. I want to look at what made them ready for the mission and then maybe look along the way at ways that maybe we can do some stuff to be that kind of church, a church that is ready to stay on mission as Jesus asked us to do. Well, the first thing that you notice in the passage is a mention of their leaders. It says in verse 1, Now there were at the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So here, the first mark that I see of this church on mission is that there was multiple leadership. These five men were serving in the congregation and they were using their gifts to build up the body. It was not just a one-man show where everything depends on one multi-talented superstar that people flock to come and see because they like him. Instead, the workload was shared by multiple leaders using their different gifts. And that is so healthy. It gave the church a varied diet and it Uh, When people are using their gifts in that way, it is just so healthy. And that is one of the things I deeply appreciate about Element with their board of elders. And if you get line those guys up, you will see that they are so very different in their personalities and their gifting. And they bring those special gifts to the table. It's just a, a wonderful thing. And then also all of the different gospel community leaders that are leaders, sort of under shepherds in the church, all of them using their gifts and working together to form this broad leadership team. That is so very healthy. It brings health and balance to a church, and it really gets it ready to stay on mission. Another mark of this church on mission in Antioch is that there was an emphasis on God's word. These men mentioned are the prominent leaders in the church and they are prophets and teachers, men who share the word of God with other people. Prophets are people who speak to build up believers in the congregation, to strengthen and encourage them in their walks and also to comfort the church body with words from God. In the early church, they sometimes even predicted things that were going to come, and sometimes they even brought new words from God before the Bible was finished. And once God's word was complete, 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that the job of a prophet shifted a bit to edifying, exhorting, and comforting God's people. And today, that is a lot like what a preacher does we would probably call most of our preachers biblical prophets as they share God's word to build up, encourage, and comfort the congregation. The teachers 
also mentioned here were the guys that explained God's word. Their job was to bring clarity and understanding of the Bible so that people could interpret it rightly and know how they should live from day to day. If you don't interpret the word rightly, first off, and understand really what God is saying in a passage, it's very easy to get off mission and head off in a totally wrong direction. How many times have you seen people do that, where they think God is saying something, but you know, wait a minute, he wouldn't say that. You know. Anyway, we'll get back to that. Both of these ministries, preaching and teaching, centered on the word of God. They really did. And that's one of the factors, I think, that prepared this church to obey God's orders and to stay on mission. And I have to say, that's another thing that I appreciate about this church body at Element, how God's word really is, has a central part in the services and the ministries here. And if we want to stay on mission as a church, we need to guard that culture, and we need to see that it grows in every single service and ministry that we have at every level, in our services, in our gospel communities, in the Sunday school, and in the youth group. All of those should have a central focus on God's word. A third mark of this church on mission in Antioch that really made them ready for the mission is that there was a dependence on God instead of on programs or people. Verse two says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. First, I want you to notice these guys were worshiping the Lord. Now, the ESV translates this worshiping, but several others translate it as serving or ministering, and I think that that's probably closer in the context. The Greek lexicon says that it is revering God while serving man, kind of pulls them together, and really serving is one of the greatest ways to worship when you're doing it out of reverence for and response to God. So that, this is what these guys are doing. They're serving with a focus on God, serving to honor God and serving in total dependence upon him. And that really is a beautiful form of worship. Notice also they were fasting, it says. We don't hear a whole lot about fasting today, but if you look down through the history of church, you see that believers all the way down through history have practiced this discipline from time to time, whether it's commanded or not. And the fact is, it is not a requirement for the Christian, and it doesn't get you any brownie points with God, but it is a way to set aside for a time our physical desires in order to focus on our spiritual needs and on God and prayer. And it is a good thing when it's done with a right heart. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so sometimes fasting is just a good way to reset our priorities, 
to declare that food is not our God. It doesn't control us. And to remind ourselves of just how utterly dependent we really are on God for everything in our lives. That is the benefit of fasting. That's what this church in Antioch was doing, and I believe it set them up for God to use them in a mighty way for the mission that they were about to undertake. Just as a side benefit, fasting can also be a way to reset the scale after the holiday season. Um, And it's actually coming back into popularity, and some of the diets are starting to talk about the benefits of fasting. So anyway... I'll do it if you will, Um, maybe. If we look ahead to verse 3, it tells us another thing that shows their dependence on God, and that is that they were praying. They were seeking God's guidance, and he honored that by giving them some very clear directions. The Holy Spirit said very definitely in verse 2, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. It doesn't say how the Holy Spirit spoke to them, if it was a voice or if they all heard it. But I think it's most likely that one of the prophets to whom God usually would have been speaking uh, probably spoke up and then the other leaders had a good sense that it really was from the Lord. And so the leaders responded. But the way they responded was not just this quick knee-jerk reaction. It says in verse 3, so after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. They didn't just jump at the first impulse. They took some time probably to confirm that they were reading it right and to ask for further directions as to maybe where to send these guys. So that shows to me an ongoing dependence on God and not just some kind of a one-shot deal. And that's something I think we all really need to learn. Sometimes you think that God is leading you, but it is usually a good idea to take the time to confirm it, making sure it lines up with God's word and with God's mission in the world And maybe you even need to consult with some seasoned believers or leaders who can maybe help you interpret what you think you're reading. In Proverbs 11, 14, it says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. And I think that that is just so very true. We are all prone to misread what God is saying. Sometimes it is just our own voice telling us what we want to hear, and we're all vulnerable to misreading his voice. And so we need a continual dependence upon God in prayer and also the humility to run things by seasoned believers and in order to really be ready to stay on mission and not get sucked into something that God would not have us do. A fourth mark of this church on mission is that they had a willingness to part with the best people. Barnabas and Saul had really done a lot of the work in Antioch. And they're pretty much a part of the furniture by now. 
they're pretty much everybody, you know, you go and you just know what to expect. It's going to be Paul and Barnabas or one of the other guys are going to do it. Um, And I bet lots of people after this thing came up wondered how the church would ever do without these guys. What would happen if they left? But I also think that the departure of Saul and Barnabas allowed some others in the church to develop their gifts more fully and step up to the plate and fill in the gaps. And that is what happens in a local church when people when they don't have to grow and don't have to step up and take the risks, uh, people throwing stuff at them like a preacher does, you know, they're not going to do it a lot of times. But when there's a need, people will sometimes do that. They will step up. And I think that this too is a lesson for us as a church, a church on mission, this letting, being willing to part with the best people, a church on mission is a place where everyone is honored, but no one is indispensable. If the Lord chooses to call key people to another ministry or even to another country, he's going to be faithful to raise up others to serve the body. And if we want to stay on mission We need to be ready to let even our best people go. And we need to actually be training people now in case God calls some of those leaders to go somewhere else. So, hey, leaders at Element at every level, a good question. Who are you grooming now? Who are you sharing with and letting them know how you prepare, why you do what you do? Who is it in your, your, your ministry that you're starting to prepare to take your ministry in case God calls you? One of the big jobs of a disciple is to work themselves out of a job by raising somebody else to do their task. And that, so that is a good question to ask and a good trait for us to have as a church. Another mark of this church on mission is that they had an identification with their missionaries. A little bit of a shift here. Verse 3 says, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This very public act of laying on of hands served uh, more than one purpose. One, it identified these people as official missionaries. It was a a commissioning of them. And secondly, it identified the congregation with the missionaries. By laying their hands on them, they're saying, you are going out from us, but you are still a part of us. We are commissioning you. We are still a part of you. You are an extension of us, and we are behind you all the way. Laying on of hands had that kind of symbolism. And it's good for all of us to think about. How much do we see our missionaries and church planters as a vital part of this church? Do they feel supported or feel like they're out on their own? Do you know their names? 
Can you name what they're doing? Where they're serving? Do our people even who serve here in town, reaching out in their own circles at work or in the clubs that they're in or whatever, do they have a sense that their church group, be it the church body as a whole or their gospel community, is part of that with them, is staying in touch and is praying with them and giving them a sense of being sent out on mission as they go to their clubs and work and tasks. It's so important if we want to stay encouraged and stay on mission that the church is really identifying with each of us. Thirdly, this laying on of hands, another part of it, was a way of officially setting them apart for a certain special work. Remember, the Holy Spirit had said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And that means here that the laying on of hands was part of their actual commissioning, actually sending them off. And when it says they sent them off, it's very interesting because it comes from a word that means They let them go. They released them from their duties in the local church. They said, you guys go and we'll take care of things here. What a great attitude and a great encouragement for those who go. So different from what you see sometimes. It's like, hey, we still have needs here. We don't have people to serve in this ministry or this ministry. And what are you doing going out there when there's still so many needs here? How great and how uh, unselfish it is when you can just encourage somebody that God has called them out and that you can trust him to fill the gaps. And I think that that's a good attitude for a local church to have, that they're generous with their people out in the, um, the community. These people here in Antioch got it right. They recognized that God was leading these men and they said then, go, you are released and may God bless you as you go and you fulfill his mission for us as a local church. And I hope that that we really can be that gracious and affirming and supportive for those who go out from this church to do the mission that God's called us to do. Uh, the band is going to come up now and um, lead us in a few more songs. We're going to leave this uh, passage here for today. And um, next week, I want to talk about the strategies of a church on mission. want to take another look at uh, the same passage, but a little bit further, verses 4 through 12, and take a look at what the missionaries actually did and how they approached their ministry because some of the strategies that they employ right away we end up seeing repeat themselves down back through the book of acts all the way through and there's um excuse me a second here i just want to talk for just a second as we conclude um to highlight just one more thing. Jesus is the one who commanded us to go into all the world. Can we agree on that? He's the one who came up with the idea and preached the gospel. And you know what? He has never taken back that command. 
It never got canceled out. God has chosen to reach the world through the local church and through believers just like you and me. He is still on mission. And he's going to stay on mission until the task is completed. We have a ways to go until it is finished. The last research that I've read says that there are still about 3,000 language groups in this big world who do not have God's word in their language, who can't hear the message in their heart language. So there's plenty of work that still needs to be done. Many of those haven't even heard the name of Christ before. So we have a ways to go until it's finished. We know that it's going to be finished because in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, you see this throng of believers and it says, you have redeemed us by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Isn't that something that we know we're going to be there in this great celebration where there are going to be some. The job is going to be finished. There's going to be some in heaven from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And that is going to be a grand celebration. But you know, there's still plenty to celebrate even today as we're still on the mission and it's not completed. And Jesus left us with a way to celebrate the work that he came to do on his mission. At his first coming, his mission was to pay the debt of our sin. And as we share communion together, we are celebrating by eating the bread that his body was actually used to step between us and the wrath of God and he absorbed our punishment in his body. And as we eat that bread, we are recognizing that he completed that mission. And the wine that or juice that we drink represents his blood, which was the purchase price for our forgiveness. His mission on earth is complete. That mission is complete. As he hung on the cross, do you remember some of his very last words? It is finished. He completed the work, and that's because the payment for our sins was fully made by him on that day. And as we celebrate communion today together, I encourage each of you, as you come up and you dip the cracker in the juice and you partake, to be thanking God for two things. One, that Jesus stayed on mission until the price was fully paid. If he hadn't, you'd still be in your sins. You'd still be headed for hell. And two, thank him that someone in your generation stayed on mission to bring the message to you. There are still people who are being born in places where the message hasn't gone yet. Thank him that somebody stayed on mission to reach you with the life-saving message of the Gospels, the Gospel. Leaders uh, in the back are going to be ready to pray for you if you want to have prayer. Uh, If you have come uh, ready to share, you will have noticed that there wasn't an offering taken. That's because the boxes for the offerings are at the doors. You can definitely uh, put your offering there. There are going to be some refreshments outside. I just thank you for your patience listening this morning. Why don't we close in prayer and then we'll
return to worship. Father, we thank you for the mission that you've given us to do. Thank you that you have been faithful to do your part all along the way and you've committed yourself to stay with us until the mission is complete. We're just so grateful for that. Help us to be a church that stays on mission, that stays healthy, and that honors those who go out from us. I thank you so much for the chance we have to study your word this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.